Hi, welcome to my podcast, where today I'll talk about visions of the church, joy and peace, getting off the launch pad, and reaching orbit. This is the beginning of my book, Visions of the Church, that was first published in 2004 in one volume together with Visions of America. In Visions of the Church, I used the troubled but ultimately triumphant flight of Apollo 13 as the narrative thread to provide an overview of 2,000 years of church history in a mere 80 pages. My name is Tim Harner. I am a Christian author and apologist, a graduate of Houghton College and of Harvard Law School, where I was an editor of the Harvard Law Review. As an attorney, my primary role has been as a general counsel. Therefore, I call the six books that I've written the General Counsel Series. The first four books of the series outline the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, providing scriptural backing for the final installments of the series that outline the history of America and the history of the Church Universal. I post my latest thoughts regularly on my website, timharner.com. And now, as I talk about my visions of the church, joy and peace, beginning with the chapters getting off the launch pad and reaching orbit, let's pray that the Lord will let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in the sight of the Lord our God, who is our strength and our Redeemer. Visions of the Church, Joy and Peace The vision of the Lord is... Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Isaiah 55, verses 7 to 13. The experience of the church comes from Apollo 13. Houston, we've had a problem. Chapter 1, Getting Off the Launch Pad. Unless you knew the truth, you would never believe that the Saturn V moon rocket could bunch an inch, much less journey through the heavens. It stood 363 feet tall, about six stories higher than the Statue of Liberty. It weighed six million pounds. Only a fool could think that something that big could move. And unless you knew the truth, you would never believe that the church could last a day, much less last 2,000 years. Jesus was dead. His disciples hid in fear. One of them, Judas Iscariot, had betrayed him. One of them, Peter, had denied him. Only a fool could think the people so weighed down by sin could hope to reach heaven. Even so, despite such doubts, the Saturn V moon rocket launched towards the heavens on a pillar of fire amidst billows of smoke. 
And despite such doubts, the church launched out towards heaven on tongues of fire when the Holy Spirit filled the followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. The key was the hidden power that moved the Saturn V moon rocket and the hidden power that moved the church. The moon rocket defeated the power of gravity by exploding chemicals inside the rocket. Jesus defeated the power of sin through his sacrificial death and his resurrection. The shed blood of Jesus was the rocket fuel for his church. As foretold by an Old Testament prophecy, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he told his followers, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He gave the church this mission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus spoke these words, then ascended into heaven, leaving a handful of followers to go and make disciples of all nations. This astounding development fulfilled another Old Testament prophecy in which God commanded people to repent, to change their way of life, so that they would live in the way that God wants them to live. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. God's willingness to forgive is totally different from our instinctive reaction when people hurt us. We want to strike back and hurt those who hurt us. But God is not like us. God loves everyone, even those who have gone far astray from God's ways. Indeed, Ever since the first sin in the Garden of Eden, God seeks sinners to help them, even when they hide from him in fear. Jesus showed this unquenchable love of God when he forgave those who crucified him. As he hung in agony on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. By showing such a willingness to forgive, Jesus revealed the magnanimous way in which God loves to forgive us. The thoughts of Jesus were the thoughts of God, not the thoughts of sinful humanity. And the ways of Jesus were the ways of God, not the ways of sinful humanity. This truth is stated beautifully in the words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9. Next, Isaiah assures us that God's thoughts and God's ways will triumph. According to the prophecy, 
The word that goes out from the mouth of God is like the rain and the snow that come down from heaven. Just as the rain and the snow always make the earth bud and flourish, so God's word will accomplish what God desires and achieve the purpose for which God sent it. Jesus is the living word of God. Therefore, teaching people to obey Jesus will accomplish what God desires and achieve the purpose of God. In the words of the Old Testament prophecy we are looking at here, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The first harvest of joy and peace came on the day that the church was born, the day of Pentecost, a holiday that celebrates the beginning of the harvest. In obedience to a command of Jesus Christ, just before his ascension into heaven, the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem until God the Father gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, all of the followers of Jesus Christ were gathered in a house. Suddenly, as the scripture tells it, there was a sound like a great wind blowing from heaven. Tongues of fire came to rest on each person, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. After this display of sound and fire worthy of the launch of a moon rocket, the disciples went forth into Jerusalem to proclaim the birth of the church. In his sermon, Peter quoted an Old Testament prophecy that foretold what was happening. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 16 to 21, quoting Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. The church had cleared the launching pad. Its journey to bring joy and peace to all humanity was now underway. Chapter 2, Reaching Orbit Apollo 13's problems began on the way to orbit. One of its engines shut down early. Hence, the other rockets had to burn harder to make up the difference. Fortunately, the astronauts reached orbit safely. The church's problems also began from its earliest moments. Lust for money led Christians astray. For example, James warned the early churches to stop showing favoritism to rich people. James condemned rich people for exploiting their workers. He knew that fights and quarrels were breaking out because people coveted things they could not get. People were asking God for things out of selfish motives so that they could spend what they got on their own pleasures. Meanwhile, they were not feeding and clothing poor people. No wonder Paul taught that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Paul knew that some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Therefore, Paul warned the church that people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Lust for sex also led Christians astray. Paul condemned the church at Corinth for tolerating a member who was having sexual relations with his father's wife. 
Paul also had to warn members of the church to stop engaging in sexual immorality, such as having sex with prostitutes. Lust for power led Christians astray. For example, a Christian who had previously been a sorcerer tried to bribe Peter and John so that he could exploit the power of the Holy Spirit to do great signs and miracles. Paul and his mentor, Barnabas, quarreled so severely when they were planning a second missionary journey that they were unable to work together anymore. And Paul warned the church at Ephesus that members of their church would arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Divisions between cultures caused divisions between Christians. For example, during the earliest days of the church in Jerusalem, members of the church who followed Greek cultural traditions complained that their widows were not receiving as much food as widows who followed Jewish cultural traditions. Years later, the clash of cultures was so great that Paul had to rebuke Peter publicly at the church in Antioch for refusing to eat with Christians who did not follow Jewish dietary rules. A council of church leaders that met at Jerusalem, including James, Peter, and Paul, reached a compromise between following Jewish cultural traditions and following Greek and Roman cultural traditions. Nevertheless, mistrust and suspicion continued between the Christians who followed Jewish cultural traditions and the Christians who followed Greek and Roman cultural traditions. Fortunately, there were also many Christians who obeyed what Jesus commanded because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There were courageous martyrs. The first martyr we know of was Stephen. He was stoned to death outside of Jerusalem for denouncing the religious leaders who had killed Jesus. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. There were tireless missionaries. Paul summed up his own experience as a missionary in this passage written to the church at Corinth. Five times I received the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 27. And they were generous givers. From the earliest days of the church at Jerusalem, they gave to anyone as he had need. A Christian in Joppa was beloved by everyone because she was always doing good and helping the poor. For example, she made robes and other clothing for widows. Churches sent help to other churches who were in need. There were compassionate healers. There was such confidence in the healing power of the early church in Jerusalem that crowds gathered, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Peter's success as a healer was so well known that people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by.
During his missionary journeys, Paul healed many people. At a city in Asia Minor, people were so impressed when Paul healed a man who had been crippled since birth that the crowd assumed that Paul was a god. To Paul's horror, the local priest of Zeus brought bulls and wreaths in order to offer pagan sacrifices to Paul. In another city, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Inspired by the examples of such martyrs, missionaries, givers, and healers, the church reached orbit within about 300 years by growing from a handful of believers in Jerusalem to become the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. Who accomplished this amazing, miraculous feat? The names of a few people are known to us, but our knowledge of these first three centuries of the church is mainly a tangle of history and legend. It is hard to unravel 2,000 years later. In actuality, we should give the credit for this amazing, miraculous growth of the early church to the Holy Spirit working through the unknown Christians. Just as nations honor those unknown soldiers who sacrificed their lives for their country, we should honor these unknown Christians who lived in obscurity as faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. If you did, please share it with a friend and find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as my website, timharner.com. Until we are together again, may the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord turn his face toward us and give us peace.